Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. I'm hurting today. <laughs> my Clippers, they got embarrassed. My Clippers, they got embarrassed. They blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets this week. It was possibly the worst choke job in NBA history. It was deja vu of the 2015 Houston Rockets Western Semis loss. It was it was just heartbreaking. And uh, I don't know. I got to keep it rolling. And I got to keep it go- going. And <laughs> keeping it together for the podcast today because... I think this is going to be a little bit of my medicine. Uh, I'm bringing out my sister, Michaela Perez. She's the biggest Clipper fan I know, and she's had a little a little bit of a good level head about this whole thing. And so I'm going to bring her on. We're going to hash it out and uh, figure out some some sort of answer to what happened and how we can move on here um, as Clipper fans going forward. And then I'm going to be bringing on my guy, Connor Larson, to talk some fantasy football. We're talking week one reactions, week two matchup predictions, who we love after week one who we're down on, who to watch list this week. You name it. We're helping you win your fantasy leagues this year. So listen to Connor and I in our conversation later on the podcast. Before I bring on my sister, I want to let you know that Vicious Talk with Benny P is broadcasting through the All Things Analysis Network. Check out allthingsanalysis.com to read my recent article about Major League Baseball umpires and the possibility of automated strike zones coming to the MLB. Yeah, the possibility of automated zones robo robo umps it's a possibility i'm not saying it's likely but it's a possibility i made my article to like a little bit of a mock trial umpires v robo umps check it out you could also see on the on the website sorry on the website allthingsanalysis.com you could see the works of all things analysis chief technology officer garrett rell his most recent piece analyze some of how the patriots plan to replace tom brady this season and based on the week one results i'd say the pats in their good in their qb New QB Cam Newton are doing are doing pretty good. Off to a great start. Doing well. Go to allthingsanalysis.com to check out Garrett's article. Like us on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on LinkedIn. Twitter, Instagram, all things analysis. All that analysis on Twitter. All right, here we go. Me and my sister, we're talking about the Clippers. Let's go. All right, we got my my little sister on the line, Michaela Perez, to, to discuss uh, and help me break down this this. Just devastating. Uh, like I said, just heartbreaking loss uh, for the Clippers. Almost just unrecover. Like you just, you almost can't recover from this. And I, I wanted to bring on um, my sister because she might be, she's, she might have become the biggest Clipper fan that I know personally. So I wanted to bring her on because she's kind of actually kept a level head on about this whole thing. And I wanted to get some of her perspective about it. Michaela, welcome to the podcast. Hello. I think you, I think that was an overdramatic intro. <laughs> Look, this is just, oh my God. This is, it has. Okay. But I felt the same way in 2015 when they choked. Yeah. They can, I, at least like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like they would have, after watching 2015 and then seeing also how much the Warriors dominated. I knew after 2015 that that was their one shot and that was it. And I didn't know if they would ever recover from that. This, I feel like is different. I feel like this, they choked and it doesn't make any sense why they choked. And at least they have a shot later on down the line. Tell me your, your take on Paul George going forward. Like, are you happy he's on the Clippers still? Are you like, are you trying to jump ship on him if you can? I, I'm not jumping. I'm not jumping ship on him. Look, 
I think the situation that was the playoffs was a bizarre situation on top of a very bizarre year for the Clippers. They had the most starting lineups in the NBA this season. Paul George missed half of the season. And uh, I, I mean, so they don't bring Trent just, back, right? That's that's the move. That they don't I don't. I don't think Mon, especially after hearing that report with, with uh, Montrez yeah. basically yeah. saying that like he, he got an argument with Paul George and saying, "Well, it's never your problem. Like it's never you never take accountability of your actions. You're not. You have to take a step back and realize that like one." Not all was their worst player. Like he was the worst player in the bubble this yeah. season. Yeah, and terrible. In the- he was terrible. So what? I, I just I, I thought after hearing that because I was I was all for defending the players because I just kept seeing this like the utter slander <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. It was it was bad. That might be the worst aspect of this whole loss is just like the trolling that's coming. I, I had Lakers fans in my Twitter account bringing up receipts of things that I posted like months ago. They're just, they know that LA is theirs and they hate that the Clippers try to have their own fun and do their, and try to beat them. And it's like, well, what are the Clippers supposed to do? Just be the laughing stock of the NBA for the Lakers case? Just the rest of the... That's that's kind of what I said. Like, what am I supposed to do? I've been a fan since I was itty-bitty. Like, am I going to just say in the middle of the season? Yeah, no, they're bad. Why I can't... I, they're chokers. Why did we choose to be Clippers fans? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> tickets are cheap. Yeah, right? <laughs> We're cheap. That's why we get away. <laughs> That's what Clipper. That's what Clipper fans have in, have in common. That's what the OG Clipper fans have in common. That we're all poor. Yeah, we were too poor to go to Laker games, so we went to the Clipper games. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 stay for Lob City though. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the the fact that they still haven't made just the Western Conference Finals is just humiliating. Well, I know that you were saying um, after the game how upset you were because. At least, like, teams of the past, when they were good, were really entertaining to watch, you know? Um, and last season, I, I, wrote, I wrote on Twitter also about this. I said, last season, they lost the pl- in the playoffs. And, it, you know, you're always bummed any time your team loses. But there was a sense of, like, optimism. You, there was a sense of pride that yeah they got how far they had didn't they get two wins against the warriors yeah and it was it was so it was so entertaining to watch them last season that they had this mentality that was almost the complete opposite of this season where even if they were down by 20 they never gave up all these people had a huge chip on their shoulder and they said okay we're used to being down and I think that that's kind of what their downfall was, that they didn't know how to adjust no longer having that chip on or no longer needing to have that chip on their shoulder. I agree. This team just didn't have an edge. And they, they acted like they were they had won something already and they hadn't won shit. And the only one that had the right to act like that was Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi is the most emotionless person in the NBA. So, I mean, the team just, I don't know. 
I'm a Clipper fan, so I'm going to root for them. But like, I understood why people didn't like the Clippers this season, just because they had a, a, a nasty arrogance about them that just wasn't earned yet. You know, but I, okay. I, I don't mind the Pat bed. Everyone's going to hate on Pat Beverly. I don't yeah. mind Pat Beverly being Pat Beverly, you know, yeah. he's, he's that consistently. He, he was that last season too. He was that he's been that the entire, his entire career. Yeah. Everyone else kind of. And look, I, I, I think Marcus Morris is, is chippy and he, and he likes to talk a lot of shit, but he also like, I don't, I feel like he didn't, pur- <laughs> I don't get why so many people pur- think he purposely like tried to like, no. step on his foot and like, but that I, I didn't understand the flagrant two like, off the bat in that game, that game six call. Like, yeah, especially, especially since wasn't it Hardaway that did the exact same play to Paul George the game prior? Right. So I don't know. The Clippers are just well, that team that people don't like to root for. It's like we're just the we're just. Well, it's funny because they were the team that people like to root for last season. Yeah, we're like the black sheep of the NBA. We're the black sheep. Like we just nobody. I don't know. Throughout their whole throughout their whole history of the franchise, it's just been misery and jokes and terrible decisions and racism and embarrassment and humiliation. But I don't know. I I, I like to think that it's not it's not as bad as it, it uh, as I'm making it out to be. At least this, I, this time. I mean. The Clippers, what the Clippers have going for them in the future that they have not had in the franchise prior is they have a great system. They have a great front office. Exactly. And that's the reason for optimism. And I mean, I was, I was talking to our dad earlier today about what's going to happen and everything like that. And we were, and I also saw a lot on Twitter about, they're saying, well, maybe they won't get rid of Montrezl Harrell because of loyalty and everything like that. But Lawrence Frank has proved that he doesn't give he doesn't give a rat's ass about loyalties. Portrayed how many players that had offered so much to the Clippers in a row. So I I think they're in good. Yeah, the Griffin thing was the pretty biz, the, the biggest business move. An example of a business move that an NBA executive could, could show. Yeah, I think he's really objective about situations. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't get emotional. They the guy, yeah, I mean, they gave Griffin a, a big contract that said you're going to be the, our franchise guy for years to come, and, and they traded him that same season. So, the guy, you're right. The, the Clippers are going to do what it takes to win. The thing is, though, they banked it. They banked a lot. They went all in in this Paul George-Kawhi Leonard combination, and I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know. They have one season left together for sure. I don't know if they stay. Who knows? They have to at least make the Western Conference Finals. But, I mean, also at the same time, I I don't see them leaving even if they don't because – this is their home, you know? What? Where else are they going to yeah, go? They both seem to have found a destination that they're comfortable in. Um, I just think that uh, maybe Doc Rivers is the thing, the piece that needs to, to change. And I love Doc, and I think that he's a good coach, but I don't know. The results <laughs> aren't there. The re- and he, ma- he makes stubborn roster decisions. He, makes, he does make stubborn Yeah, stubborn I mean, I, I was – 
I'm on the look, I get what Doc was trying to do in this series. He was trying to play long term in game five and he shouldn't have been, but I see he was doing a high risk for a high reward in that game five. That's what he was doing. He was saying, I realized that we had the three one advantage. We're probably gonna win at that point. They looked it looked all good. And they said, and Doc Rivers was thinking. Trez and Lou have been playing horrible in order for us to win and be serious. We have to give them confidence. So here they're, they're up by 20 or something like that in game five. I don't know how much they were up. I don't remember at the top of my head. 16. I think it was 16. Um, Doc Rivers was thinking as a coach, let me go ahead and go with these two guys that are struggling to see if they can get confidence in the situation thinking, yeah. It's pretty much garbage time at this point, it looked like. And yeah. that's when the, the series really shifted. Because they should have, I think out of the two, the three games, the only game that I thought that they actually should have won was game five. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it was just, um, what, what sucks is by the time they got to game seven, it was like deja vu. It was like, oh my gosh, you can't, you can't tell me. that People were trying to say like, Oh, I'm still taking the Clippers at Game Seven. It's like I'm no. not. If you're a Clippers fan, you're like, <laughs> I saw I saw Isaac Lee on the on the ringer was like he bet against the Clippers. He's like a longtime Clipper fan. He bet against the Clippers because he's like I know they're gonna lose. And well, Vegas Vegas better. favored the Clippers by seven point five in that game. Yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't understand what? it. I, what I knew after they lost Game Six, that was it. Yeah. And the same thing happened in 2015 against the Rockets, and that's what I'm just always going to remember. <laughs> it's just, it was weirdly, it was creep, it was weirdly similar to 2015. Right? It was just, it was weird. Almost like to a T. Exactly. The the way similar. they lost in Game Six because they were up, they were up big again in Game Six, and then and how and and how um, Millsap went off in Game Five felt. Pretty similar to Josh Smith. Josh Josh Smith. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's gonna take some time, and I'm glad it's the off season coming up because I don't know. I, I I'm gonna watch some of the NBA still, but I'm just I don't know. It's just... uh, I'm probably gonna take a break for the Western and Eastern Conference. I didn't watch today. Um, I, I mean, like the Celtics are choking too. So yeah. I don't know if uh, I'm rooting for an Eastern Conference team. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Me too. All right, I hope the Celtics, but I know, right? The Celtics would have been fun, but the, the Heat are a fun team too. Yeah, I really, I, I really appreciate the Heat in terms of you can really tell that they work hard. Yeah, they don't take anything for granted. Yeah, Jimmy Butler has that attitude about him, and it's really reverberated through the whole team. He, I mean, I think Jimmy Butler, out of any other player in the NBA, probably has the work ethic the most similar to Kobe Bryant. Damian Lillard, too, I would say. But I just uh, I remember I read an article somewhere about um, how <laughs> how Butler barely gets any sleep. That he's like always the first one in the gym. He not gets there, huh? <laughs> not just Harden. <laughs> <laughs> What was it last year? Didn't James Harden get a all defensive team vote last year? Uh, uh, yeah, he did. Last year he got one all defense vote. My gosh, 
hey, he played great defense in the playoffs. Like Taco Fall, I think, got a rookie of the year vote or something. (laughs) (laughs) Not Bobo. <laughs> didn't Bobo not even play a game before hey, the bubble? Don't knock, yeah, don't knock Bobo. Come on, he looked good in the bubble. Knocking him, I was like, he I thought he looked good. The playoffs. I thought he looked good in before before. I know I would have been interested to see him against the Clippers, but I didn't play him. They didn't need to. <laughs> yeah. Although Plum, I think somebody broke down how bad Plumley was for the the Nuggets. Because <laughs> he doesn't would. matter. The Jokic is a, is a beast. I mean, they they broke it down to mo- minutes with Trez on the court, and then minutes with um, when Trez was on the court, and they broke it down with minutes with Jokic, and then minutes with Plumley, and Trez was a plus ten with Plumley on the on the court, and then a minus fifty <laughs> with Jokic on the court. He was a minus fifty. Oh my god. <laughs> Montrez Harrell had the most devaluing postseason performance. Yeah, how much money he lost? Yeah, he lost. Uh, he lost at least like ten million dollars. At least fifteen games. He he lost like ten million dollars. At least. So we'll we'll see if he comes back. But I don't know, Michaela. I'm glad we get a little break from it. And uh, I, <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been, it was a little bit, a little cathartic to talk it out. I, I I don't know. I I we chose this life as a Clipper fan and then it's too late to go back. I'm still hoping Aaron Baines um unofficial Twitter account joins the Clipper fan in fandom next year. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Baines on the Clippers would be fun. I love their Twitter. <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right, Michaela. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate okay. it. Okay. All right, nice talking with you. Have a good night. Bye. All right. All right, we're going to dive into the bulk of our podcast here. Topic number one. But before we uh, dive into some fancy football, I'll introduce my guest here. Uh, He's going to be on the podcast a lot as we go forward. Um, He's the CEO of All Things Analysis, Connor Larson. Connor, welcome to the podcast once again. Hey, what's popping, Benny? All right, let's dive into some fancy football. You excited, buddy? How was your week one? Week one was not good. Uh, 0-3 <laughs> across the board. Uh, DraftKings uh, Why should we dropped listen to this out. Guy? Why should we listen to this guy? He's 0-3 in fantasy football. <laughs> week one. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is what our, some of our, our main theme is for week one. Don't overreact. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll not overreact to Connor's 0-3 start right now. Um, he's, got, he's still got a lot of room to improve. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's projecting his teams to... Get some more wins under the belt, and uh, we're here to talk about some fantasy football and how Connor and the rest of you guys could improve your teams. Yeah, I think that's very important is to not overreact. Don't don't jump the gun and, and trade Michael Thomas because he only got five targets in the first game, and now he's going to be out for two weeks. Or, or Austin Eckler for the, his lack of participation in the passing game. The guy had right. ni- the guy had like nineteen carries, but people are some some people are uh, worried about his lack of participation and 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 then i think he might have two catches or i don't know if he had any mm-hmm. um i mean trust in the volume understand where you drafted these guys you drafted them there for a reason it's been one week remember last year mike evans in the first couple of weeks was putting up duds and, and vice- he ended up the as a top uh, wide receiver yeah the season. and vice versa too because i mean like for example I, i'll just jump right into an example of of my personal experience early on here in the 2020 fantasy season, I picked up Malcolm Brown before week one. Cause I, I, 
week one for 2020 was actually eerily similar in some ways to week one in 2019. And Malcolm Brown is, an, is, a, is another similar story in 2020 as he was in, tw- in 2019, where I remember my 2019 season starting off with Malcolm Brown as my first waiver wire pickup um, in, the, in the 2019 season. And I saw the writing on the wall as soon as I, as I noticed that the Rams were not committing to Cam Akers, rightfully so. I mean, the guy's a rookie, uh, just drafted him. So rightfully so, they weren't, they weren't committing to him as, as – the, the the lead back the full who the one who's going to get the three downs uh the bulks of the carries but he did start cam Akers and um the the storyline ended up being though was malcolm brown came in and had a great game i think he had like 19 carries 100 plus yards i think he caught a couple passes he ended up having a great game and um i was glad i picked him up in my fantasy league but i actually i didn't have the balls to play him i just knew i wanted him on my team because i had cam Akers as well especially um but I ended up flipping Malcolm Brown this week. I traded him already. And that's what I'm saying here is these guys, some of them are going to have great week one. Some of them have great week ones through four. Some of them have ones through five. But there's a lot of guys in this league that will trick you into, into thinking that they're reliable from a fantasy perspective. There are week-by-week changes in the NFL, and Malcolm Brown – remaining the Rams number one back getting 19 carries plus a game being involved in the passing down in the passing game that's not going to continue on very that's not likely to continue to carry on all through the 16 weeks of the NFL season because the Rams spend a first round draft pick on or was it a second round draft pick they they drafted Cam Akers very high is, is the point they drafted a young rookie named Cam Akers out of Florida State to be really the replacement to Todd Gurley, who was a transcendent back for a good two, three years with the Rams. And um, I think Malcolm Brown is a, is a great stopgap. He looked fantastic on, on Sunday night against Dallas. I thought he looked great. They looked better this season than he did last year. So that's my only worry with flipping a guy with, who shows value early. You could get bit in the ass of doing that. I mean, Malcolm Brown could end up being a beast this year. He could end up winning some guys a fantasy season. He could. It's possible. But the point is that I'm capitalizing on what I think could be some of his peak value. And I, I traded Malcolm Brown basically for Kareem Hunt on, on the Cleveland Browns. And I, I included Deshaun Jackson, but I didn't really need Deshaun on this particular lineup of mine. So ended up working out where I – was really only looking to trade Malcolm Brown basically straight up for Kareem Hunt and basically picked up Kareem Hunt from that perspective. I mean, I didn't start the season with Malcolm Brown on my roster. I didn't draft him, actually. I picked him up after the draft and and ended up trading him for a good running back, too, in my opinion. So that happens all the time. Yeah, I think some of the information we can glean from week one is how these rookies are being used and whether they actually are a threat to take over the starting role. Um, so you bring up a great point. And Cam Akers, he, I think, himself had 14 touches or so. So early on, the amount of confidence placed in him, he has high draft capital. Um, Malcolm Brown's been there for a few years. He, uh, you know, he did have two touchdowns in this game. That's going to inflate his value. Uh, we, we love to talk about touchdown regression. Uh, it, it's an unpredictable stat. So I think he did the right thing in flipping him early. I, I think the writings on the wall where Cam Akers is the more versatile running back, and he'll eventually 
take even more of a role. Yeah. I think those are the guys we are going to term as roster clogs where, you know, week one, they, they got a lot of carries and it looks like they, they could produce, but they're mostly getting the work on the ground. And a lot of their value is derived from the touchdowns. And these are things that, that are likely to regress, um, especially with uh, a younger, more talented player in the wings. Um, so Detroit's another situation. Carry on, I think, had like four or five carries. Adrian Peterson got a ton of the work. Um, but how sustainable yeah, that pissed is that? Me off. That so, pissed me off. I, I had carry on in uh, one of my leagues. I drafted yeah, so him pretty high i kind of reached for it because yeah. i thought he had a pretty good opportunity to carve out a, mm-hmm. a role in the detroit offense and then right i know adrian peterson it i don't know where before week one i was like i tried to like not get worried i was like ah, adrian peterson he's old he he might not be that great yeah maybe carry on maintains a, a, a firm spot in that rushing attack but not mm-hmm. what not what bit dude he had like one point for me in face he cost me by a week basically yeah, I think there were a lot of guys we had hope for that we learned very quickly are not going to have value this season. Um, that's reflective also in the Miami Dolphins. Jordan Howard and Matt Breida, both <laughs> cut old. Miles Gaskin got 14 touches. So Gaskin's the guy to own on that team. Who knows if it's going to be valuable? We thought Matt Breida and Howard would be the main contributors. And that's that. these are the type of things you can react to. But don't worry about George Kittle having four catches for 44 yards. Uh, he's going to be a top two tight end at the end of the year maybe top three andrews looked pretty awesome but you know the, these guys are the main staples but there's definitely some information to glean uh, mark andrews dude mark andrews had a game that yeah i heard i've been hearing a lot of buzz with on him on a lot of fantasy shows um he, he a lot of people think that he's gonna jump up into the upper echelon of tight ends with kelsey and kittle um they think a lot of people think mark andrews is is that good and that talented where he's going to be considered one of the best three tight ends. He certainly looked like it on Sunday. Yeah. All right. Well, one thing we've been talking about a lot in our uh, leading up to the fantasy football season, the NFL season, um, some of our major trends that we've been talking about, things to keep an eye on um, in a unique 2020 NFL season has been um, the fact that with the lack of preseason games, the lack of, um, padded practices, a lack of preparation for the NFL season. Um, we are placing a heavier risk on rookies and um, teams and players where there's uh, new systems being integrated and um, there's just where teams are trying new things, where players are trying new things. And so our thought is that with the lack of time to really uh, prepare for those types of things um, and really understand h- how to best put yourself these uh, best put themselves in, in an opportunity for success. Um, we're placing a heavier risk on those outcomes being less than positive. Um, and it, it's not to say that some of these rookies and some of the teams that are trying new, new things aren't going to succeed. We've seen that we already saw some of that in week one where Clyde Edwards Hilaire looked great on, in Thursday night football for the Kansas city chiefs. Um, who else? I mean, there's been Jonathan Taylor caught six passes for Ar- 60 yards. Yeah, Arizona, the Arizona Cardinals are, are trying a lot of new things this season. They have DeAndre Hopkins, who looked great in a new system. Um, Kyler Murray looked like he's ready to take another step forward in, in, in both the real NFL and fantasy. Um, but so there are examples, is the point of some of these new things and, and rookies working out. Um, but overall, we also saw some enforcement of this idea. 
Right. I mean, the, the Bucks were clearly a situation where they did not get off to a hot start, um, but that's a team where I don't expect that to continue. Um, I don't see Brady having mistiming with Mike Evans all year long. I'm, Evans was dealing with injury. You know, these guys are on a new team, so that led to a Brady pick. Um, I don't think that Tom uh, will be be staying in Tampa for too long if they can't right the ship, and I think the Bucks will get it together going forward. Um, one thing that does have me worried is Chris Godwin was just put in concussion protocol, um, so that's something to monitor going mm. forward. Not ideal. Chris Godwin, somebody who is um... – a guy that you targeted a lot in a lot of leagues, no? Don't you have him on your team? Three? <laughs> He's in all three. <laughs> oh, not ideal, man. Not ideal. Not great. So, uh, for whatever reason, NFL players seem to be able to shake off concussions faster than any average man. Yeah, I mean, the concussions <laughs> are nonlinear injury. So, you know, every single player is going to have a different timetable depending on the symptomology. Um, Godwin played the entire game, uh, so it's very unique. Apparently, his symptoms came on later. So, uh, you know, I don't remember a specific instance either where I saw him on the field getting hit. So hopefully it wasn't anything that's too serious and he's able to come back. Um, you know, hopefully there's no longer term repercussions, but also for my fantasy team, I want to see him back on the field. <laughs> for your fantasy team, Chris Godwin, get back on the field, please. For your, for Connor's fantasy team, please get him, get him back. <laughs> Do it for me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> send, him a, send him a handwritten letter. I'm sure he'll love. I have a lot riding on Tampa this year. I wrote an article about the Bucks being uh, a great bet. So <laughs> I really hope personally. they can turn around. I did. I threw, I threw a small wager on them before they actually acquired Tom Brady. So my odds were, were very uh, formidable. All right. Well, let's get back on track here. We were talking about some week one reactions. Um, one thing that uh, I wanted to go over were, was what uh, were there any results in, in week one that were unexpected for you? Did you see any um, teams um, over like um, over me expectations, under me expectations? Did you see players? Um, which players did you see do well that were, was unexpected? Which players were expected to do better? And they ended up doing in week one. What do you think? Where do you want to start? Yeah, so basically anybody on my fantasy football team did worse <laughs> than expected. Right. Um, so nah, Saquon, you had a good week at that Yahoo League. I just had a better one. Wink. That's true. <laughs> um, I did have, I have Cal, I had Calvin Ridley and Thielen in that league, and I somehow still managed to lose to you. Yeah. Not easy to do. Uh, so a guy, a guy I'm a little worried about, and not because of his talent um, or anything he does, is Saquon Barkley. And we know what a bad offensive line can do to a player yeah. in fantasy football. I had, uh, he had the Giants' offense. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't think they were good, but I didn't know they were this bad. Offense. Yeah, the, the, this is one of the more concerning um, moves because a lot of people were talking uh, about Saquon as a, a, top, a consensus top two running back and player on on fantasy drafts. And boy, fifteen I carries for six I, yards I, is I, not I, efficient. In some instances. Yeah, I mean the potential. You saw what he can do when he gets out in the open field, and he hurdled that player um, and for for a thirty eight yard scamper on a screen pass. But yeah. he literally is met in the backfield in every single play. And he makes the most out of the opportunities, but the opportunities right. are not there. 
if you're being tackled while you're being handed the ball, what can you do? Um, so we saw like really talented running backs like Joe Mixon last year who, who get on a bad team and they're supremely inefficient and it's not the talent, it's, it's the team. Um, so if the Giants can't figure that out and get the ball moving forward and get some better blocking, uh, Saquon could be in for a very efficient, although he is going to get a lot of volume, so he'll yeah. break off a play here or there, but it's going to make for a bumpy ride. Yeah. Is that one of the more most alarming um, fantasy football headlines Saquon's performance in in week one and not necessarily he did he didn't play awful I think he got a touchdown didn't he uh, uh, no he had six catches for sixty yards though okay so he, so he saved his day in PPR leagues for sure but yeah. he he uh, is that one of the more alarming fantasy trends right now in week one early on it, it I mean people invested a lot in, in Saquon Barkley this year drafted him in second overall in most leagues. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the guys who, who look like they're either going to lose their job or who, who went down to injury, that's even a more significant risk. Yeah, because that's, Saquon what, that's, can, what, that's what I was going to think, too. Saquon and the Giants can put it together. The um, floor is higher, for sure. Marlon Mack having his Achilles go out, that's a killer because Mack looked really awesome in, well, in that game. Well, it depends on your perspective with that one. I mean, But, yeah, Jonathan who, Taylor, Jonathan Taylor now has this huge opportunity. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, another guy I'm, I'm supremely worried about is Mark Ingram. Um, um, he looked yeah. slow. He looked like David Johnson did last year. Look, where... I know you were a Mark Ingram fan coming to this season. You dra- I saw you draft him in two, yep. I think two leagues. But, I, look, I never liked Mark Ingram coming this year. I, I just don't see it. I think that he was he, – he's a, he's a good second fiddle. He was good in New Orleans for his role as a second back. I don't see him as a lead, as a lead down back capable of being the bell cow guy, um, especially in the kind of the ground and pound idea that – in the modern ideas that – that Baltimore is implementing into their offensive scheme. Uh, yeah. What's worries definitely more. I don't know. I just think the Dobbins fits what they're trying to do better in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of the hypothesis in, in drafting Mark Ingram is that he had the solidified main back role and he was going to be the goal line back, uh, you know, yeah, 15 touchdowns last that, year. We that's saw valuable some... goal line. I mean, did, did Baltimore have any goal line carries? I don't, I didn't watch that game close. <laughs> they, they did. JK Dobbins got both of them. He, he scored did. both touchdowns. Well, that's not encouraging. Right. So that that's really the most worrisome aspect. I, I was expecting some type of time split in terms of carries where, you know, Ingram might have 12, 13, 14, and Dobbins would have seven or eight ty- type of thing. And then Ingram would still get the goal line, uh, goal line opportunities on the Ravens, a high-scoring team. You're like, okay, he's going to actually have a lot of those opportunities still. That's pretty awesome as a running back, too, to have that nice seven-point pop uh, maybe twice a game uh, mm-hmm. occasionally. Uh, he had 15 last year, right? So, mm-hmm. um, But the fact that he's not being used in the goal line he didn't catch any passes and he ran 10 times which is okay um but he only had 29 yards uh last year he had 12 to 15 I mean, touches not a guy who's known for being particularly efficient in his career he doesn't i mean that's not necessarily crazy for him to average less than three yards a carry i mean that's that's pretty low for one game no doubt but um over time i mean he's not gonna be crazy way more efficient than that yeah, I mean, Ingram is all, he's always been like a kind of like a, a four or five yard per carry type of guy, but he was never, uh, I think on his career, he's 4.6. So I've, I, he runs a good clip, but he was never the type of player to break off a long run. Um, mm-hmm. So when you're getting limited opportunities and he doesn't have that breakaway speed, his and he, 
he doesn't have the goal line. He, he's really uh, a, a capped fantasy asset. So it is week one. I don't want to overreact. I'm not dropping him yet. Well, I'm going to watch week two and see. I'm not dropping him. By no means. You dro- you've messed a lot of him. But I am hitting the panic button on Mark Ingram because yeah. if there was ever a week to expect a, a nice, I mean, a good veteran running back to outplay yep. um, a rookie who was just put into the season. No preseason. Yeah. No preseason. It would be week one. So, yeah, one thing I want to remind listeners about and, and you about Ben though is is a possible corollary could be um, Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown last year were in the first game of the season. Malcolm Brown actually had two touchdowns and Gurley didn't have any. True. Um, so the, the reason NFL I bring crazy. that up, yeah, the reason I bring that up is they could be employing a similar tactic where mm-hmm. you know a running back just takes a set of the handoffs in a drive. Um, and they don't take them off the field. It's not situational. It's kind of like you take this drive, I'll take the next drive. Yeah, that happens. They split the carries. And so it could be a situation where Dobbins was just on the field um, when they happened to move into the red zone and then Mm -hmm. just kept getting the carries. So I'm really hoping it's a situation like that and not situational where every time it's goal line, they're going to pull Ingram out and put Dobbins in. Um, So that gives me some hope that, you know, because Todd Gurley ended up with, you know, 12 or 15 touchdowns last year. He wasn't efficient, but if Ingram could put together a season like that i'll be happy in the end um but definitely definitely hitting the panic button yeah me too yeah um one thing that i I wanted to um, point out was uh we saw a great performance out of cam newton and the new england patriots and it was fun to see a, a new new england era and look they they by no means did they look amazing they weren't perfect but um it was fun to to see a new style of play uh coming out of New England, and um, I think that the team is more than capable of, of winning football games in, in this season, and they demonstrated it in week one. Yeah, I mean, I watched the entire Pats game. Um, it was very the, – the speed of the game was actually very quick in terms of time, but it was very boring to watch because it was just five, six, seven, eight-yard runs, either from the quarterback or the, one of their many running backs. <laughs> um, but that led to the game finishing like 10, 15 minutes early. So I got to watch the rest of the slate, mm-hmm. which was nice. And yeah, the, the Pats look good. I'm not shocked that Belichick would figure it out. Uh, Dude, Cam Newton had leader. 15 carries. They, uh, yeah. They it, designed runs in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah. If he's going to do that, he's got to be locked in the lineup. He's a week. locked in. He's a locked in top, a top eight QB. If he's going to get more than 10 carries a week. He's locked so, in a top eight QB. Right. The, the biggest risk to Cam, uh, I see, is injury. Yeah. yeah, the injury. Definitely. I mean, that's the story of his career, the injuries. Um, I, I think 15 carries is a little uh, high from – I think he's going to average something around eight to ten carries. That would, my, would be my guess a game. Mm-hmm. Um, with, especially with the like – like we said, the lack of preparation, the, um, the abbreviated – preparation leading up to week one um running the ball is a lot easier to get schematically than um option routes and and passing patterns and um understanding check downs and and going through your read options and stuff like that so cam newton exhibited all the signs you want to see in week one um but also along the lines of don't overreact to week one um you got. You want to see it. You want to keep. You want to continue to see uh, how Cam adjusts when teams start to stack the box against him. When guy. When teams start to have QB spies to prevent him from having success in the design runs and the QB draws. Um, is he going to be able to to hit the receivers in New England? Because really, only 
Julian Edelman had a noteworthy game, and he only had five catches and 57 yards. The New England receiving core is, I mean, it's worse than it was last year. No, I mean, they don't even have Mohamed Sanu, who went to San Francisco last week, I think. Yeah, I think they're hoping for a fully healthy Nikhil Harry this year and that he can really take a step up um, with Cam. Yeah. But, yeah, what do you think, Ben, about the uh, the skill position players in the Patriots? Do any of those guys um, give you any confidence that they, they should be on your fantasy rosters going forward? Look, I'm rostering Sonny Michelle. I'm rostering James White, and I'm rostering Julian Edelman and Cam Newton. But those, other than that, I'm not having anybody else on my team. And Nikhil Harry is borderline – I'm sure he's owned in most leagues, um, but another guy that you could look to drop maybe if you don't see much out of him over the next couple of weeks. He only had five mm-hmm. ca- five catches, 39 yards um, on six targets. So he, he, he converted on five of the six targets. So- One thing I like about Nikhil Harry's stat line is that he got six targets um, and Cam only threw the ball 19 times. So that's about a third of Cam's targets went Nikhil's way. So if you're saying a trend is that Cam won't run the ball quite as much and he throws it about 10 more times. that's part of it. And you assume three more targets. If you assume the same target share, Nikhil will be up around nine targets a game. If he's getting nine, ten targets on the packs, um, yeah, he's definitely a guy I want to keep around on my team. Uh, You got to hope that Cam can start to figure out how to throw the ball a little bit deeper because his average pass was very low and with 19 passes, uh, it doesn't present a lot of value. I think the Patriots are better than any team at – I think – Cam could not have been – my point is Cam could not have gone to a better situation, in my opinion, because a lot of teams Cam would have gone into would have already had some sort of idea of a scheme that they wanted to employ. Um, and I think the Patriots are if not if one of, if not the only organizations that doesn't have a scheme. They're so adaptable. They change year to year. And now they have – They change game to game. Game to game. Week to week, they they make more adaptations to their schemes than any any organization in the NFL, and that's one of the reasons why they succeed every year. Um, yeah. But and one of the things I wanted to mention too about the Pats, and and this comes with uh, the article that uh, our other ATA analyst Garrett Rell wrote, um, and why we thought the Pats were also a great value in terms of bets this season is Bel- Belichick is a fantastic coach, but McDaniel's also previously coached a running quarterback in, in Denver uh, with Tim Tebow, and he made them successful. And Cam was mm-hmm. a previous MVP. You know, he's a lot better than Tim mm-hmm. Tebow. So given Josh McDaniel's running this offense, he he knows how to integrate a, a running quarterback. Um, and so hopefully they can extract a lot of value out of him. And, you know, the defense is, is really good. You know, they lost some guys this year to COVID opt-outs, but they're still returning one of the top five defenses from last year. Um, so I think the Patriots, they're going to keep on rolling and they're, they're going to win the division yet again. Yeah. It looks like that, that the writing's on the wall for that, but the bills did look pretty good against the jets. They won 27, 17. Josh Allen had a game. Um, what'd you think of the running back split between Singletary and uh, Zach Moss? Yeah. So this um, was another interesting uh, game split because both guys were supremely inefficient. Both got nine um, carries, but yeah, you're right. Inefficient, inefficient, nine carries from both. It, 
the thing I did like was that Zach Moss seemed to be more integrated in the passing game. Uh, so that's where you're going to drive a lot of your fantasy value if you're playing in like a 0.5 PPR. And passes typically lead to longer receiving yardage output. So if you look at, you know, yards per catch versus yards per rush, the yards per catch are typically going to be higher. So if he's getting those extra four, five, six catches and is able to attack on another 40 yards, um, even if it's a low floor in the running game, yeah. that, that poses more potential upside. So Singletary is another guy where we, we really liked him last year. Year, but we were unsure of him I, coming. Dude, I was year. a big Singletary guy last year. I loved him. I think yeah. I traded him for from you in a keeper league that and didn't end up being a keeper league this year. But it's a very strange pivot the Bills did. But it seems like he is has lost some favor there. Yeah, and, and here's the thing in in Buffalo that I think we're going to see going forward is this looks like a genuine split, a genuine running back share of the workload. Um, they both saw nine carries. They were both involved in the passing game. Zach Moss got the touchdown. Devin Singletary got two more catches, got a little bit more out of his, out of his nine carries, uh, rushing the ball. I think this is maybe a worst-case scenario for both Devin Singletary and Zach Moss owners in week one. And the reason why I say that is they're both cutting deep into their values. And if Buffalo isn't going to be a high-octane offense that puts up stats – Stephon Diggs and John Brown are good receivers, so they're gonna they're and, and Cole Beasy. That's that's and Dawson Knox. That's four good receiver receiving options over his running back. So my point is, I think Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are two guys to hit the panic button on the sense that you're not gonna get the value that you wanted out of either of them. I don't think right. either of them. I don't think either of them is gonna get, turn out value that you were expecting out of where they were drafted. Because Devin Singletary was yeah. drafted in like top sixty in a lot of drafts, top seventy in most. I would say, and Zach Moss was around right around 100, even higher in some drafts, depending on the the scoring system and everything. So, I don't know. I I, I don't think I if the if Buffalo isn't going to score a lot of points, if Buffalo's offense isn't going to be one of the league's best, and they did play all right on tw- uh, on on Sunday, they, they scored 27 points, but statistically, neither running back did anything fantastic, and and I'm, yeah. that worries me. Yeah, if you remember the first like eight or nine games of last year, there was a strong split between Frank Gore and Devin Singletary. Mm-hmm. Um, and neither player had any real value until Singletary fully took the job by the end of the season. And I think that we're in a similar situation this year where neither running back will have really much starting roster value. You're going to want to roster both in case one of them goes down or one of them mm-hmm. starts taking over the role. And they forward. turn the roster clogs that way too. But right now they're a roster clog, yeah. And and so I don't think you want either of them in your starting lineup. Yeah. And the other thing with those two is that Josh Allen threw the ball a ton. And so if the Bills are going to air it out because they do have uh, John Smokey Brown and Stephon Diggs, um, then there's just less uh, volume going around for both of them to feed on too. Uh, We typically think of the Bills as a running team, but when Josh Allen's also taking some of the runs and, and fumbling the ball, it just means less opportunities for that offense. Yeah. Yeah. Another unexpected result on Sunday that had some, pretty significant fantasy implications was the Washington football team versus the Eagles game. And Washington ended up winning that game 27-17, came from behind the second half. Philadelphia looked awful in the second half. They started pretty well. I think they got to a 17-0 lead. And then they really had nothing going in the second half. They couldn't get anything. And, Connor, let me ask you this. How worried are you about the Philadelphia offense, particularly Carson Wentz and his ability to – uh, get the ball to his receivers and his running backs and for them to score fantasy points this season. 
Yeah, I think, again, my biggest concern with the Eagles is that offensive line. They gave up eight sacks to Washington. Washington has a formidable defense, um, but when Carson Wentz was under pressure the entire game and getting hit and uh, throwing interceptions, it's yeah. not going to give that these the receivers the time to get open. And so it was really early in the second half. These guys look tired. You know, it was the first game of the year. You, you got to hope they can get it together. The Eagles are going to be in trouble too with, with all their depth uh, being injured as well. Yeah. Did you um, – who are you looking at in Washington to target for um, going forward at, at the running back position, Antonio Gibson or Peyton Barber? Yeah, I, I'm trying to get shares of Antonio Gibson wherever I can. Um, you still think, Peyton, you're still on that Antonio Gibson train even though Barber outcarried him 17-9? to 9? Yeah, I think week one we're really expecting a lot of these rookie running backs to get fewer carries. So the fact that he was involved to the degree he was. Um, another thing that gave me some confidence in Gibson is that Bryce Love was a healthy scratch for the game. Uh, Bryce Love uh, was previously a standout at Stanford, uh, and he also had some decent draft capital um, from the Redskins two years ago before he was injured. So. Um, yeah, Gibson being there, the fact that they cut Peterson, Love being a healthy scratch. Barber was largely inefficient, although he got the goal line touches. Gibson caught some passes, and he, he looked good. So he's the best running back on that team, and I really see him taking the role going forward. Yeah. Speaking of um, best players on the team, I think that uh, Philadelphia had Dallas Goddard really show out as the best player in Philadelphia in week one. Best tight end on the team. Right? I mean, he had eight catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. Outplayed his counterpart or his teammate, Zach Ertz, who had three catches, 18 yards, and a touchdown in the first half. Didn't catch a single pass in the second half, Zach Ertz. Um, Are you – how close is is this in terms of – is Goddard right there with Ertz? Is Ertz down, down? Is he devalued because of Goddard's role? And do you, is Goddard clearly the better value going forward or no? Yeah, I think this is definitely one of those situations you want to monitor. If Goddard's available, throw him on your bench right now. Um, Zach Ertz, I'm still starting for the time being, but there has been some hostility between Zach Ertz and the office of the Eagles. Um, He wants a contract. It doesn't seem like talks are going well and we're seeing it on the field. It's directly showing in their usage. It seems like the team is starting to move on from Ertz. Consciously. Is that, I I don't know. Is that a, is that a thing that teams do? Do they consciously schematically start to wean players who are on their way out of the system? Do they wean them out sometimes? I don't know. I think that makes sense. I think if you want a player to develop into a role and you think another guy's overpriced, you start you're going to start to use that younger player more often, and hopefully he yeah. can take the place of the uh, the guy who's more costly. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. We see this in companies all the time, right? It, when they do major yeah. budget cuts, they clear out some of that upper middle management um, that has the higher salaries, and then they promote younger people who they think they can pay less and get the same amount of work from. And so that's what they're going to do with Dallas Goddard. The treat, the, I mean, in the end, NFL is a business, um, so they want to pay the they want to get the most value out of each player. That's yeah. a good way to put it. I agree. Look, Philadelphia was. Probably the biggest question mark from a fantasy perspective in week one. They only put up 17 points, and a lot of guys on their team, on their offense, were owned in fantasy leagues, were started in fantasy leagues. You're looking at Carson Wentz started in most leagues that he was drafted. Boston Scott was picked up in a lot of leagues when when, um, 
Miles Sanders was a, a, was declared out of this out of this matchup. Um, I don't know if Sanders expected to come back next week. Um, if he is, I mean, obviously guys are going to continue to start him. So is is Miles, is the starting running back of this system going to actually put up stats? Is Wentz going to be able to hold the ball long enough to get the ball to give uh, wide receivers an opportunity to put up good stat lines? I don't know. So Philadelphia was a major question mark, I would say, in week one. Yeah, and I think they still are a major question mark going yeah. forward. You know, the the um, the amount of injuries in that offensive wide receiver core, we really don't know which guys are going to be the main targets. Um, we have tight end question marks, and we have running back question marks, O-line question marks. I mean, Philly is not a team where I want to have a lot of ownership. Mm-hmm. All right, who was your week one fantasy MVP, do you think? Who was the best – who was the best value? So we're not talking about maybe not necessarily the guy who scored the most points, but the guy who you think was the best value. Um, I, I think I have somebody in mind for this. Yeah, I think for myself, a, a guy I'd have to go with is Adam Thielen. Um, Thielen, year after year, is a top five wide receiver. He continuously gets drafted in like the third or fourth round, and he was the clear number one target. He had two touchdowns, like 10 catches, over 100-plus yards. Um, so where where you're drafting him you're getting a top five uh overall pick in the in in drafts and you got him in the fourth round so showing out like the way he did he, he really stamped on that he can be your number one wide receiver this year yeah no so i'll raise you at adam feeling and give you a Devonte adams dude Devonte adams this is why i drafted Devonte adams fourth or fifth or well, i think it was maybe sixth overall last year because i expected this out of Devonte adams he looked amazing on on sunday and, and i don't know if that's maybe i i don't know if rogers is going to be able to keep it up i loved what i saw from rogers it was a vintage performance of his but Devontae adams 14 catches 156 yards two touchdowns he, the guy had 17 targets 34.6 fancy points in a half ppr format the guy had a, a monster game led everybody in scoring in espn fantasy scoring this week and uh i would say Devontae Adams was a amazing value for what he was picked this year because he was probably picked in the second round, probably should have been picked as the wide receiver two on the season, in my opinion, um, after this week. A lot of those guys showed out. Julio had 160. Hopkins had 10 for one. Oh, don't get me wrong. So. I had Julio ranked over Devontae coming in this season, but I'll tell you what I saw on Sunday is I saw the Packers. They want to – They want Aaron Rodgers came out this year, and he looks like a – dude, he looks focused. I – I, you could see it on his face, dude. You could see it in the way his body language is. He wants to put it – he wants to shove it up Green Bay's management, I think. I think he wants to prove. You know what? You drafted Jordan Love in the first round. That was a stupid pick, dude, because I'm still, I'm still here, and I'm still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think he's probably the most talented quarterback I've ever seen talent from a talent perspective. Uh, and I, I think he still has some in the tank. And – Devontae Adams, I think, could not be in a better situation from a fantasy perspective because he has one of the best throwing quarterbacks in the NFL. If you want somebody to put from a from a wide receiver's perspective, if you want your your wide receiver on your fantasy team to have one quarterback in the NFL to have him throwing the ball, Rodgers isn't number one, but he's high up there. He's high, and if Rodgers is going to play like that on a weekly basis, Devontae Adams is in store for uh, no doubt top three wide receiver season, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I mean, the, the 
Packers did this a few times last year where they had huge games. Um, they Rodgers did it against the Raiders. Um, the Vikings could just be one of those teams where they have a horrible secondary and every team eats against them. So You're not, it's one of those. Yeah, that's a possibility. You're not wrong. That's a possibility. Yeah. So it's one of those things that I want to monitor for a couple of weeks and see if Rodgers can really maintain the space. I don't think he does. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. This yeah. is more of a blip. I, I think this is more about what I'm saying is more about Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers because I agree. Aaron Rodgers had a great week one. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying he looked fantastic. I'm saying he still has a lot in the tank. But I'm also saying temper those expectations a little bit mm-hmm. because he's not going to put up 30 fantasy points a week. He, he, I think he had 31 points last week. He's not going to do that every week. So – um, what I'm saying is I think schematically Green Bay is throwing the football this year and Devontae Adams is going to get over 15 targets a game and he's one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL and he's going to average over 100 yards a game probably and probably get over 10 touchdowns this season. So that was Yeah, a great if he can stay healthy, I think you know he's a lock for yes, the top yes, five. Yes, 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 yes. Um, one other guy I want to bring up who was really impressive, probably an honorable mention, um, uh, bronze medal I, I should i would say goes to calvin ridley um really mm-hmm. stamped stamped it on a, a breakout year for his third year i think he's going to be incredible he had 130 yards and a couple of touchdowns um and when we're talking about value i mean this guy was going in the fifth sixth seventh rounds in drafts um a really popular breakout pick but he could potentially be a, a top 10 top 12 guy and be a number one wide receiver on Definitely. your team the way the Falcons throw the ball, yeah, Matt Ryan had 450 yards. So Atlanta's a fantasy offense. They're like, they're a team. Yeah. If you could get some fantasy stock in Atlanta's offense, get it. If you could get Matt Ryan, if you could get uh, Hayden Hurst, if you could get Julio Jones, who you can't, because I could tell you right now, I'm not trading Julio Jones. And right. as, an, as a Julio owner, um, I'm not trading him. And he just looks it, like a man out yeah, there. It's it, incredible. If you want to, if you want to trade the farm for Calvin Ridley right now, go ahead because he might be worth it. Because Atlanta is in store for a big offensive season. Because not only do I trust that, we're 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 talking about how we really emphasize the importance of uh, continuity in both scheme and player personnel. Atlanta has that. They check all the boxes. They don't really have that much turnover in player personnel besides um, Hurst and Gurley on offense. And those are don't get me wrong; those are two good guys uh, who are they expect to play a role this year. But uh, from a passing attack perspective, they they have two, their two best receivers and really in Julio Jones coming in this year. And Matt Ryan um, has already won an MVP in his career, um, and he he knows how to play some great football. And I think Atlanta's offense, their defense is going to prevent them from winning as many football games as they'd like but their offense no doubt it's going to put up points yeah i couldn't agree more it's going to be a high volume their defense is very good so they're going to be throwing throwing the ball a lot and i think they're going to be playing a lot of catch up and that's going to do it here for episode 36 of vicious talk with benny p thank you so much to connor and michaela for joining me on the podcast had a lot of fun talking to you both michaela not so much with the content topic but clipper fans we're going to get through this as long as Kawhi Leonard is still on our team. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit allthingsanalysis.com. Follow us on social media, LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. All that analysis on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening to episode 36 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Don't forget to ask yourself today, are you vicious? Vicious.